than 100 countries were represented by 27 statements made during the debate about the World Health Organization draft Global Alcohol Action Plan at the recent Executive Board meeting. Following the discussion, the WHO Executive Board decided unanimously to adopt the Global Alcohol Action Plan and recommend final approval at the World Health Assembly later this year. This decision underlines that alcohol harm is a public health priority and that accelerated alcohol policy action has strong support from WHO member states. So, how did we get here? What were the key issues during the debate? And what happens next? Hello! From Movendi International, I am Mike Dünnbier. Warm welcome to the Alcohol Issues podcast. This is the second episode of our second season. Thank you for tuning in. The Alcohol Issues podcast is an original production by Movendi International. It's a show about current alcohol issues of global importance. Through in-depth conversations with policymakers, community leaders and scientists, We explore alcohol policy issues, discuss landmark scientific studies and expose the alcohol industry. I'm excited that Pierre Andersson is hosting today's conversation and that I have the chance to sit down with Pierre and talk about alcohol policy and the World Health Organization. Pierre Andersson is the Policy Advisor, Alcohol and Development at the IOGT-NTO Movement. The IOGT-NTO Movement is a Swedish development organization that works for poverty reduction by supporting partners in low- and middle-income countries to tackle alcohol as an obstacle to development. We recorded our conversation on Tuesday, February 1st, 2022. After an extensive two-year-long process of developing a Global Alcohol Action Plan, the World Health Organization Executive Board discussed the plan in particular and alcohol policy issues in general in last week's meeting. Pierre and I talked about the content of the action plan, the process of developing it and the attempts of the alcohol industry to interfere and water down the plan and we share our opinions about what's good and bad regarding elements of the action plan. Pierre and I followed the executive board discussion about alcohol policy and we share our impressions, reflections and takeaways. We shed some light on countries that champion making alcohol policy a public health priority and other countries that promote the alcohol industry's profit interests and we talk about bigger picture considerations for the way forward. I really hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Last week, the uh, WHO Executive Board had a meeting where they uh, adopted the Global Alcohol Action Plan. Now, this plan has been in the works for around two years, so Maybe we should start with discussing the, the background a little bit. Could, could you describe 
how this came to be and what led up to this uh, development of the action plan. In 2010, the World Health Assembly adopted the Global Alcohol Strategy um, as a reaction to, I think, the tremendous alcohol harm that uh, WHO member states were experiencing uh, in their countries around the world. Since 2010, um, there is very little progress. WHO says there has been uneven pros progress. We would say there has been no progress, no measurable significant progress at all with implementing the global alcohol strategy, translating into, you know, reduction of population level alcohol use and reduction of uh, alcohol harm. So that is the problem that over the last 10 years, we look at the lost decade uh, for alcohol policy, despite the global alcohol strategy being in place. Now there is an additional problem, Pierre, and that is that over the last decade, alcohol policy has not even been discussed at the WHO governing body meetings in a substantial way. It came up here and there, but not in a focused, substantial way. And so um, we worked to bring alcohol policy back on the agenda. And once we did this, we opened the possibility for member states and WHO to actually assess the situation. So we managed to do that in uh, 2019 and then in, in 2020, where it became very clear that alcohol actually is a public health priority. And given the trends in alcohol consumption, like in Southeast Asia, alcohol population level alcohol use has actually increased over the last 10 years. So given these trends, um, member states then requested action from um, the WHO Secretariat and requested that this action plan be developed. And the purpose of the action plan is to improve implementation of the global alcohol strategy. So now they have realized that there, there are shortcomings, gaps with the alcohol strategy, and this action plan is supposed to fill those gaps and accelerate action. And there was some kind of an evaluation made, right, of, of the implementation of the global strategy. Because I, I, I remember... Uh, I mean, we work in the Iogentium movement. We work with low and middle income countries. And I, I clearly remember seeing that I think no low income countries uh, put resources into developing alcohol policy at all in the last 10 years since the adoption of the, the global strategy. And uh, yes. it's quite remarkable. Yes, you're absolutely right. And um, I think that WHO assessed... Um, in 2018, there was the uh, global status report. So that is data from 2016, somehow halfway uh, through the last decade. Um, and then they, I think that's the data they were working with. And then they had for the uh, discussion at the executive board in 2020, they had a, a report prepared as well. And there are some staggering uh, figures that the status report itself and then some other analysis, some other analysis shows like no low and middle income country increasing resources, um, alcohol becoming more affordable, um, very few countries actually regulating alcohol marketing, especially in the digital age. So can the alcohol industry being far ahead in all these innovations when it comes to alcohol marketing 
and also in uh, especially low and middle income countries in the African region where uh, you guys are working a lot. Um, alcohol availability regulations being very weak. I mean, there are still countries in, in the African regions that don't even have a legal minimum age. So these best buys are really not implemented. There is no progress in advancing the best buys. And I think that has been worrying us and that I think has been worrying then also many member states. Yeah, yeah. And I, I agree. We We see very poor implementation of even... I mean, kind of the basic best buys in, in alcohol policy when it comes to availability, age limits, uh, taxation is often there, but not implemented in a way that actually protects harm. Uh, and this is uh, at, at a time when the alcohol industry actually has been pouring resources into marketing, into buying local breweries, into lobbying in this con these uh, countries as well. So um, it's really clear, actually, that alcohol policy is needed. But now the, the WHO Secretariat, they got this uh, task given from the member states then two years ago uh, to develop this uh, action plan. So uh what what do you think uh or what what's your thoughts around the process that has been since i i know that the who they have developed some drafts and they also asked for input on those drafts and so on how would you describe that process i think the world health organization themselves they would say that this was an extensive consultation process um, and we, together with you guys at the IOGT NTO movement and uh, other members around the world, we have worked with this process from the beginning. So I think that there are some good elements and there are some really negative uh, elements to this. The good elements is that over two years, um, there, there has been a possibility to engage in alcohol policy discussions. And you know this matters for countries where alcohol policy should be a priority, but is really not. So I think um, some East, Af East African countries there. So our members were engaging um, whenever a regional consultation would come up or um, a briefing uh, or a consultation meeting in Geneva to make sure that uh, the government back at home knows and that the Geneva representations get their instructions from back at home. So I think this is positive. Negative is that um, also the uh, alcohol industry was consulted and along with the alcohol industry, actually the tobacco industry. So we could see that for the working document um, that uh, was launched to get the whole consultation going, the alcohol industry mobilized a whole network of think tanks that belong to uh, the universe of the tobacco industry. And that, of course, raises serious concerns about how the WHO is able to properly implement and follow the rules of the framework of engagement for non-state actors, the FENSA. Mm. So that is, and, and we could hear it also, um, member states last week uh, raised concerns about FENSA and industry interference so that the alcohol industry was consulted, the WHO held a dialogue meeting uh, during these two years with the alcohol industry. These are really, uh, I think, big concerns for us and civil society and for many member states. 
So please explain what does FENSA say when it comes to tobacco industry and alcohol industry in this regard? Yeah, so for the tobacco industry, it's very clear um, because there is the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control and Article 5.3. So the WHO doesn't engage with the tobacco industry and the weapons industry at all. They are off limits. There is no interaction whatsoever. And now um, FENSA regulates other health harmful industries um, where the WHO engages. So uh, FENSA um, regulates how the WHO can engage with the alcohol industry. And this is, of course, controversial. It's controversial that the global alcohol strategy contains um, language and a role for the alcohol industry and that FENSA doesn't really, I think, sharpen the firewall there. So WHO is trying to manage conflicts of interest and we think WHO should actually safeguard against conflicts of interest with uh, the alcohol industry. Um, and here the lines are being blurred because then there are other private sector entities. You can think of the pharmaceutical industry, the food industry, um, that also um, very often cause harm in the non-communicable disease space. But alcohol uh, is not like the, the food industry, is not like the pharmaceutical industry, is really almost identical to the tobacco industry, which we could see here also in, in the space. So here, even member states now are saying that the FENSA rules fall short, like these kinds of engagements. Um, the, the alcohol industry is not supposed to be engaged in policy development, but this action plan, what else is it if it's not policy development, right? With what we talked about uh, just a few minutes ago, that this is about implementing or improving implementation of the global alcohol strategy. So there are these questions about whether FENSA is adequate and whether FENSA has been implemented uh, properly. And that's why also more member states start talking about similar solutions to the Framework Convention on, on Tobacco Control for alcohol control, because better protection is obviously needed. Yeah, and I, I think we should come come back to that discussion, because there were also during the executive board meeting last week, there were some countries that actually mentioned this as well. So let's come back to that. But if we stay with the alcohol industry input into this process just for a moment, what are they, what, what are they saying? What kind of input are they, are, are they giving? I think most, mostly the input they give is not surprising for anybody dealing with alcohol policy issues and advocacy um, I think, as you alluded to, uh, Pierre, the IOGT-NTO movement works with strengthening civil society and partnering uh, with governments, ministries of health to, ad to advance evidence-based alcohol policy solutions, especially the best buys. And uh, so we know we are not surprised to hear the alcohol industry attacking the best buys, um, uh, claiming that they don't work uh, or that it's a one-size-fits-all all uh, solution, even though, I mean, part of the definition of the best buys is that they are cost effective, that they are appropriate for different national uh, contexts and that they are evidence based in different contexts around uh, the world. So 
Um, and member states have approved the best buys um, uh, numerous times. So we see attack on the best buys and safer. We see a questionable representation or misrepresentation of the evidence um, in alcohol industry submissions. Um, and we see a push for self and co-regulation. We also see that the alcohol industry um, is self-serving. They want to partner. And I think it's so interesting that they discredit WHO's normative leadership role when it comes to the best buys in alcohol policy, for example. And at the same time, they want to partner with WHO. But, you know, Pierre, if I discredit your role in the work that we do, why should you partner with me? So these are some of the things that we see uh, the alcohol industry has been doing. Yeah, and this is uh, th this is really what we see all the time, right? I mean, uh, I have told you about this before, but uh, uh, I, I looked at this SAB Miller uh, annual report a couple of years back before they merged with, with another big brewery. Uh, and uh, they had this spread over two pages where they listed all the risks of their future profits, essentially. And, and one of the risks was uh, increased regulation. And they mentioned specifically, they mentioned uh, uh, risks around the regulations, around uh, availability, uh, around um, marketing and uh, taxation. And these are the three best buys in alcohol policy, right? So they see them as risks. And then they mentioned, so, so what should we do about this? Well, we should engage more in, in uh, basically uh, corporate social responsibility activities to become a more like respected uh, corporate citizen, so to speak. So we get a voice and, you know, uh, it's so clear that these are seen as risks for the industry and they do virtually anything uh, to, to get rid of the best buys in, in every, at every level, I would say. Yeah, I think what was surprising to me, what the alcohol industry has been pushing for is, and probably it's also revealing, but that was surprising to me, they don't want WHO to engage in the trade policy. So they are against um, language in the action plan that gives WHO a role in uh, engaging in the World Trade Organization. Mm. So I think you can see that they really want to protect the space where they can directly go for uh, profit maximization interests as they do in the trade agenda. And they want to avoid that public health interests um, gain traction there. And that matters, I think, uh, for many countries. Thailand, for example, wanted to put warning labeling um, on uh, alcohol products in Thailand, but through the World Trade Organization, that was shut down. So you can see that um, uh, the alcohol industry is trying to protect that space. And the, the other thing that we have also heard when we talked with member states, the concept of harmful use of alcohol is very important for the alcohol industry. It fuels this kind of cognitive dissonance of who is responsible for alcohol harm um, and uh, what can be done, what are the solutions to this alcohol harm. And the alcohol industry really wants to lay the blame um, at the feet of the users not the products that they are making. So they want to keep this uh, very flawed concept alive of harmful use of alcohol.
Yeah, and this is uh, this is one of the things that both Movendi International and the Ayodhya movement and others have been pushing for in this process, right? To to change that language because that language is still there also in the action plan. Um, so if we go to the actual contents of the action plan that was presented uh, last week at the board meeting, uh, uh, what, what what do you think about it? Uh, the way it it ended up. It's a very difficult question, Pierre, because um, the action plan contains very many very good elements, but I I cannot get rid of stomach ache either that I have when I look at the action plan. So uh, I I believe it's similar for you. I, I'd be interested to hear how you look at it. But for me, it's um, the the strong focus on the best buys and safer and the strong focus on country impact now. I think that is very important. That is an improvement uh, with everything that we have said about the lost decade um, when it comes to the global alcohol strategy. So th this is uh, positive. I think it's positive that WHO is bringing back uh, infrastructure and governance uh, for uh, alcohol policy. Because if you think about it, if you don't bring leaders together on a regular basis, You don't facilitate best practice exchange. You don't facilitate that people actually understand, wow, these countries are actually ready to move forward with a framework convention, a global binding treaty, an international instrument, something like that. So if you don't create platforms um, to facilitate this, you don't create leadership, you don't create sustained commitment. And so I think that is also very positive. And I think overall we can see that the language about the alcohol industry becomes more public health oriented. So there is more language about conflict of interest and alcohol industry interference. But at the same time, then the action plan is inconsistent with itself. So it acknowledges that the alcohol industry is actually the biggest obstacle, like you were saying before, Pierre, for evidence-based action on alcohol harm. So, but if it's the biggest obstacle, how come the alcohol industry gets a role in the action plan? Like in every action area, there are measures for the alcohol industry, also what they should not do. So WHO tried to find the balance um, and we, we just counted. So we counted the term economic operators is used three times as often as the term community. Mm. But community action is a specific area in the global alcohol strategy And so you can see that there is an imbalance between community action and economic operators, so the alcohol industry. So I think it's it's a step in the right direction, but I still have stomach ache and uh, there are still things that we really would like to improve um, yeah, if the I, opportunity would arise. I, I really uh, I really agree with you there. I mean, uh, as you say, it's it's... It's a bit weird when you read the document, actually, because, as you say, the, the general language on the industry is better. It's more it's more clear when it comes to conflict of interest and that alcohol policy processes need to be protected from industry interference. But then when you go into the actual action areas, as you say, there is a headline for the economic operators, the alcohol industry, under each uh, action area on the same level as the member states, as the WHO secretariat, 
as the uh, civil society actors. And that's where it becomes really, really weird for me. If you read the actual wording, as you say, under these headlines, uh, it's also an improvement uh, compared to, to before. There's a lot of wording around what they not should do. But still, the kind of symbolic value of having the economic operators of the alcohol industry mentioned on the same level as the WHO Secretariat, on the same level as the member states, so that's really uh, a, a weird thing for me. And I think the, perhaps the main flaw of, of this uh, action plan, actually. Yeah, I agree. I think we would summarize it with this industry-friendly concept of harmful use of alcohol um, mm -hmm. remained. WHO remains... Um, steadfast on continuing the dialogue with the alcohol industry, even though the alcohol industry doesn't actually acknowledge WHO normative leadership role. Like when they can, they try to undermine it. They fund campaigns against WHO um, as well. So the dialogue, the harmful use of alcohol concept, and then exactly like you are saying, I think you've summarized it very well. I th <laughs> This amount of... Uh, attention that the alcohol industry gets in reducing um, and preventing alcohol harm uh, with all these measures is really problematic. But so <laughs> I, I, I sense that your feelings around this action plan is a, a little bit conflicted like mine. So <laughs> do, you, do you actually celebrate uh, that this was adopted last week or still feeling a bit uh, not so good about it? That's a great question. And I think that I think we could have gotten some better elements or I think a little bit better uh, document. But I think that we are here now. That is, an, that is a success for the member states. Uh, like we were saying, Kenya delivered a, a big statement on Uh, this issue for the entire African Union, um, the European Union, uh, Slovenia, Thailand. I think these countries that have been committed to this for the last two years plus X, I, I mean, some of them have been committed to this, you know, Sweden for more than a decade um, played a pivotal role for getting the global alcohol strategy. I think these countries have done what was possible to do in uh, getting an evidence-based ambitious action plan and i think if if you have to if you ask me and i have to say do i like it yes or no i would say i like it yes uh, there is a an ambitious target for example with um, a per capita alcohol use reduction of 20 percent. i think these things we need now increased ambition um, there is um, a commitment to reconvene the expert committee that who has on alcohol um, with the remit of the expert committee to uh, study the feasibility of, the, um, of an international instrument or at least look at the way forward, uh, I would say. So there are very many good elements in it. It's up to us, I think, to hold member states and the WHO accountable for these very positive elements and really push back against the alcohol industry because they will exploit what you also talked about, Pierre, or the things that they will find positive. Yeah. So let's go into the actual meeting last week. We already mentioned, uh, you mentioned Kenya making a statement for the African Union and so on. Because uh, 
actually listening to to the member states last week made me um i think more positive of of the action plan overall because uh, Many of the countries, most of the countries, uh, a very big mayor, majority uh, voiced strong support uh, for this action plan. They were uh, uh, very uh, supportive, they talked about important strategy, they described alcohol as a significant uh, risk factor. Uh, many countries mentioned that there is no safe level of use of alcohol and so on. So I think overall it was a, a, a very positive experience. But what's, what's your general impression of, of the meeting last week and the discussion about this uh, action plan? I echo what you just summarized, Pia. I think it's a great summary. Um, 27 statements were made. Um, all in all, I think more than 100 member states are represented by these statements. Some of them are regional statements. And only three countries, I think, went against the action plan as is. So this is exactly what you said. The overwhelming majority spoke about the need to accelerate action, that alcohol is a public health priority and should be addressed like that. Uh, I agree with you. I think this recognition that really is, I think, now part of the WHO debate about alcohol policy, that there is no safe level of alcohol consumption. That is very important. I think we can also see a shift there over the last two years, which brings us back to, yes, if you if you actually open space to discuss alcohol policy and allow member states to listen to each other, you build knowledge, right? You build understanding of where different countries are and where they are coming from. So, I think the meeting was was very positive and I think it's always two things. It's the substance of the action plan, but it's also what member states say about it. And I think this very strong call from uh, the African uh, continent, actually, the African Union statement there that Kenya delivered for tailor-made capacity building and technical support um, by the WHO Secretariat, by the WHO, I think that is very important. We could see that this has been lacking over the last 10 years. WHO was not able to develop all the technical tools needed to advance um, the alcohol policy best buys uh, on the country level. And now we have the safer initiative and the technical tools need to come. So I think just these calls for technical support, capacity building, country impact, the commitment to reducing population level alcohol use, I think these are very important messages for the Secretariat to hear that came out of the debate. And this was uh, this issue was bundled with a whole lot of other NCD-related issues on a very, very crowded agenda. But uh, all in all, I think uh, the discussion on the Alcohol Action Plan was actually more lively than under many of the other action points, right? I think this is a great point you are making. So there were three topical groupings under the NCD agenda item. And um, alcohol was grouped together with uh, neurology and epilepsy. So I think you can see the framing of mental health, basically. The other two groupings contained each four or maybe even five sub-items. So the other, you know, like obesity and oral health, they had a disadvantage there that they were competing with four 
uh, other items and in alcohol uh, in the alcohol discussion we were competing with one more item i think it's unfortunate that these important issues are competing with each other i i would have liked to focus on some of the other discussions like um, in oral health there is Uh, an emerging conversation about alcohol as a risk factor there. I think this is a good news in itself, but then space is limited, so that doesn't really come through. But overall, you're absolutely right that my impression was also that many member states chose to focus on alcohol policy uh, concerns. Many member states chose to make statements there. As we said, 27 statements, I think, And I think a 90-minute discussion, mainly actually on, on alcohol, I think it shows really how important that actually is for member states. And what we mean when we say that the last decade was lost because we didn't have these conversations, I think we could have had more progress already if we would have discussed this in 2016 and, and 2017 to this extent. So, yeah, I think it was very lively, very encouraging. One of the things that came up during these uh, discussions was, uh, an I, I think an initiative came from the European Union uh, on, they, they requested the WHO uh, essentially to develop a separate document on how, on advice uh, on how member states should uh, interact with the alcohol industry essentially. Uh, and and some other member states also latched onto this and said this is a good idea and and ultimately the WHO secretary says okay this is something we will uh, work on. So uh, what's your take on that? I think that you asked previously about what the framework of engagement for non-state actors um, is about when it comes to WHO's engagement uh, with the alcohol industry. One important element is transparency. And uh, it is not clear what the dialogue with the alcohol industry that the WHO engages in is actually about because WHO is not transparent about it. It's also not clear um, other than, I think, the very first submission round um, to the working document that we mentioned, what the alcohol industry has said to these uh, uh, consultation rounds over the last two years. So member states are actually frustrated by the lack of transparency. And then many member states are frustrated by um, the ability of the alcohol industry to be part of this process overall. And I think that is what WHO got to hear uh, in the debate. So if member states would be satisfied with FENSA, they wouldn't ask for a standalone separate document. If member states would feel like, well, if we want to address alcohol as a public health priority back at home, then we do it. No, they experience that the alcohol industry is a real obstacle and they actually want technical support in how to protect against alcohol industry interference and how to safeguard against conflicts of interest if they have to uh, engage with the member states. So I think WHO got a number of very clear messages here from member states on uh, this importance of uh, safeguarding public health alcohol policy development from the alcohol industry in a much better way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But uh, still, given that there are also uh, still some member countries, member states who are very alcohol industry friendly, I'm, I'm a bit concerned, a little bit worried that 
this document that the WHO will produce might be watered down and, and not so protective as we would like it to be. And uh, if, I mean, a, a bad document would be even worse, right? It could leg legitimize uh, alcohol industry contact with member states, even if it's if it's not good enough. So uh, what's your feeling around this? Yeah, I I would agree, so to say, with your concern. I think two points are important. One is what we mentioned earlier, Pierre. Um, it's up to us also to take um, the momentum forward in this conversation about the alcohol industry. I think the, the whole conversation becomes more confrontational, more focused on alcohol industry as an obstacle to public health action on alcohol harm. So, and that's up to us, I think, to advance that conversation, to, to uh, educate the public, to educate the decision makers, what that actually means. Like all these examples that you see in your daily work, Pierre, with, with your partners in Southeast Asia and, and East Africa. So that's number one. Number two, I think this uh, standalone separate document, that is a technical document that mm. is not open to consultation. So right. here, WHO really is the normative leader in uh, global alcohol policy. And you remember also the technical report on cross-border alcohol marketing um, that was developed by WHO in parallel to this action plan uh, process. That is a technical uh, exercise where uh, member states, civil society are not consulted. So uh, there should be hope um, that this is really evidence-based and and focused on uh, technical guidance to member states so that it should be strong. But I think we have to ensure this with uh, our work building on the momentum that this debate gave us. Mm, yeah, but good point about this being a te technical document. I, I think that gives uh, some hope. As you say, we, we really would like to see something that is clearly evidence-based here. Um, you also mentioned before that there were some countries who were uh, voicing concerns around the action plan. We, I, I listened to uh, Great Britain talking. They were very industry friendly. I think they said basically that they supported the action plan as is, uh, but they, uh, they also noted that it's really like important to have a good dialogue with the industry or something like that. But then the, the US and Brazil, they voiced some, some concrete concerns uh, around language, around labeling, uh, alcohol mentioned in, in, in connection to trade and trade agreements and so on. So uh, uh, first of all, it's a bit weird that they voice these concerns now after uh, three consultations uh, where the member states had the opportunity to, to, to speak. Um, but what do you think about this? What, what are the implications of, of this? Now, the document was adopted by the executive board last week, but and now there are a couple of months until this will be on the table of the World Health Assembly in May. So uh, what will happen until then? And what, what are the implications of the US and Brazil in, uh, interventions here? I think that the decision of the executive board is a milestone towards the World Health Assembly. Um, much 
would need to happen for this document to be altered in any way, I would say. Um, given this really broad support from the European region, the African region, Southeast Asian region, and also most of the Americas region. So I think that that is uh, important to say. But of course, the World Health Assembly has to adopt the document. And uh, given that the Secretariat said that they remain open for dialogue, I think they said, uh, in reaction to the debate, um, we still don't know. I reached out to the Secretariat and they are defining the next steps now. So there will be some form of next steps. There will be some form of uh, conversation about this. Um, but we don't know. Brazil, um, they requested more time. They, I think, expressed support for the action plan, but they said they didn't have enough time to assess if there were modifications uh, in this final uh, draft. So I think, <laughs> by definition, that should be taken care of uh, until the World Health Assembly, the document is adopted. Brazil has time to study it um, in detail now. And I think everybody who has looked at it, we could see that there are only, I think, uh, microscopic changes, if any, from the second draft to this final draft. The United States really took an alcohol industry position, as you summarized, Pierre, with this, well, we are concerned about WHO being part of the trade um, discussion and they are concerned about alcohol labeling. So, as we said before, that is um, a talking point from the alcohol industry. And it, I think the big question is, how will the United States deal with this? Um, is this now so important for them? Is the Biden administration willing to do the dirty work for the alcohol industry here um, and willing to open up this document? Um, or are they mainly registering these industry talking points here? And that's what I alluded to earlier. If the document is uh, opened up in any way, we are also ready to support member states to actually improve the document. Mm. So then I think we will raise a conversation about the concept of harmful use of alcohol, the WHO dialogue with the alcohol industry. And then I think we will take a look again at all these measures for the alcohol industry and ask for just one paragraph and um, even clearer language on conflict of interest. So if there is any, uh, I think, any indication that the document might be revisited, then we are also ready to go. But we have to see about the steps that the Secretariat wants to, uh, I think, design. Yeah, obviously, we have to follow this issue closely because, I mean, my concern, obviously, is that the World Health Assembly, uh, they make decisions. They, they, they always seek a consensus, right? They want all the member states to be on board. So potentially the... One country, and especially maybe U.S. as the biggest uh, financial contributor to the World Health Organization, also have a, a strong voice here. Uh, so if, as you say, if the Biden administration really wants to, they could probably uh, push changes into the document. But uh, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe they only wanted to voice concern and then they'll... Uh, uh, not disturb the process further. We'll have to wait and see, I guess. I think that 
your point about consensus decisions is very important. I think your point about um, who contributes the most uh, to the budget of the WHO is also important. In the end, this is also about politics. But politics also means that um, you, you mentioned this, uh, the largest brewer of the world that controls every third bottle of beer being sold in the world right now. Their headquarter is in New York. This is an American company. So the United States is also exporting exploitation and uh, alcohol harm on a massive scale. And countries are actually wary of this. Countries uh, that want to protect their citizens, their communities from alcohol harm. They are also wary of Western alcohol companies pushing into Southeast Asian, African, even Latin American uh, countries without regard for human health and human life. So there is also, you know, there is also, I think, momentum and a stronger and stronger voice from low and middle income countries about their right to protect their citizens from the products and practices of the alcohol industry. And they will want concessions from, from the United States. Um, if they want to change something in this uh, action plan, these countries will want concessions, maybe in some unrelated uh, WHO process. Um, and so I think that's then political. So we'll have to see, as I said, how ready the Biden administration is to give such a priority concern to uh, the interests of the alcohol industry in the United States. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you that the voices of low and middle income countries is, is really important here. Uh, but now looking at the, the weeks and months we have before the World Health Assembly in May, uh, other than following this process and see if, if the document is opened up or not, uh, what what be, would be your kind of focus now leading up to the World Health Assembly uh, in this process? I think we, we should have three focus areas. One is um, monitoring, documenting, exposing the unethical practices of the alcohol industry. We have to continue sensitizing the World Health Organization, sensitizing... Um, the decision makers in countries around the world about this. So I think that is the number one priority. Uh, what, what is going on in the alcohol industry? How do they interfere? How do they block Uganda, Botswana, Vietnam, uh, other countries from actually protecting their citizens from the harm um, that the alcohol industry products are causing? Secondly, I think we have to uh, invest even more in, uh, I think, explaining well the impact of the alcohol policy best buys. Uh, I think it, there is a window of opportunity to discuss about the fallout, fallout of the coronavirus pandemic, um, you know, health system sustainability, health system functioning and alcohol's massive burden on this. Um, I think that is very important. I think um, we have a window of opportunity to really mainstream alcohol policy now into major WHO policy discussions, financing, for example. So um, the pandemic treaty, as I have said, I think that is important. And uh, thirdly, I think even better work 
back at home in the capitals so that the World Health Assembly is even better prepared. Um, I think from our side, from, from civil society side, I think you mentioned, and I think that was very good to talk about this recognition that there is no safe amount of alcohol use. I think we want to establish the recognition that alcohol is an obstacle to development. Alcohol adversely affects 14 of 17 SDGs. There is no safe level uh, of alcohol consumption, no healthy amount of alcohol consumption when it comes to cancer and heart. I think we can, even back at home, work more closely together with NCD networks, cancer control uh, organizations, cardiovascular disease organizations to advance these, uh, these uh, I think, facts, these uh, advocacy priorities. And, you know, poverty reduction organizations, I think, have a role to play uh, going forward also. Good point. And I, I also a good point about the uh, COVID pandemic, because there were several member states who actually mentioned this in their statements, uh, how um, alcohol policy actually needs also to be a part of health emergency preparedness. And going yeah. back to the discussions that the uh, executive board had the, the days before uh, the alcohol discussion. So yeah. that was uh, quite interesting, I would say. So to to just to sum up, now you have been involved in in uh, WHO and alcohol policy issues for quite some years now. Uh, would you say that we are making progress? Is the WHO making pro pro progress? Is the world making progress when it comes to to this area? This is a great question. I think that we are definitely making progress. I think that some of the things that we brought into this consultation process two years ago, they are already answered. So infrastructure improvements, um, I think the safer, the best buys focus, the focus on country impact. I mean, you, you know, Pierre, how, for how many years we've been talking about this. Um, so we can also see a little bit beyond this action plan, the process, the debate last week at the executive board. Um, there is increasing attention in the WHO secretariat and in the WHO regions for alcohol policy. There are two units dealing with uh, alcohol policy um, at WHO secretariat, but also the fiscal policy unit, the law unit under health promotion, they are increasingly dealing with alcohol policy. And I think um, we, we also hear that there is bigger mandate, for example, to work on alcohol taxation issues. The World Bank is uh, getting more involved in alcohol taxation issues. Actually, in two weeks, we will have a, a side event um, on the margins of the Commission for Social Development with the World Health Organization, with the World Bank to talk about alcohol taxation, potential for poverty eradication and building back better after the coronavirus pandemic. So I think we are definitely on the right track. I always think that, yeah, the last years they have helped strengthening the mandate, uh, increasing recognition of the real harms that the alcohol industry is causing. Now we still need more resources. We still need WHO to be in much better position to actually provide technical assistance to develop these uh, technical tools that are still missing. 
uh, but it's definitely going in the right direction. As you know, Pierre, we are working for, I think, um, unlocking more development funding for this really important, I think, development priority and global health priority. We are not there yet. So, uh, but within WHO, I think on the global and regional levels, we can see many positive developments. Yeah, thank you. That was a, a really good summary, I think. I agree with you. And and when it comes to development funding, I mean, this is one of my main work areas where I try to convince uh, the Swedish government, the Swedish uh, International Development Agency to, to, to work more with uh, alcohol prevention and alcohol policy development. They they are now actually mentioning alcohol in the health policy. They are working on the NCD issue, but so far, uh, other than funding uh, some of our programs through CEDA um, and Forum CIV, um, uh, they're not doing very much when it comes to alcohol, but but hopefully we can change this in the process because, as you say, resources are badly needed on global level and and um, and most of all maybe on the national level. And I think uh, the Nordic Baltic uh, statement, like I think the overall uh, conversation last week at the executive board, that could help. I think here is where everything comes together. Then. If the whole African Union talks so much about how important um, tailor-made support for them is, it shows, I think, also uh, development partners that uh, there is interest, there is openness, and there is need, obviously. I think we can show how big the return on investment would be for development goals, um, for public health, global health goals. So, And I think that's the work we have to do uh, together in back at home, so to say, to advance this conversation, really building on what the member states have recognized themselves last week. Okay, thank you very much, Mike. This was uh, a very good conversation, I think. Uh, it's it's always good to speak to you and interesting to hear your uh, takes on this issue. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pia. I had uh, so much fun talking with you. Such a pleasure. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks to Pierre Andersson and the IOGT and the O movement for hosting this conversation. This podcast episode is part of Movendi International's work to promote evidence-based alcohol policy development at all levels and to translate scientific evidence into policy action that protects people and communities from alcohol harm. In the show notes, we share resources regarding the WHO Executive Board, the Global Alcohol Action Plan and Movendi International Advocacy Priorities. Your feedback, questions and suggestions for future topics and guests is most welcome. Please get in touch at mike.dunbier at movendi.ngo. You can also reach out on Twitter and you can find my contact details in the show notes as well. The Alcohol Issues podcast is made by Arin Pino, Taraka Ranchigoda and Kristina Sperkova. That's it for the Alcohol Issues podcast this week. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode and found it useful. Thank you again for tuning in and stay well and safe and talk to you soon.